Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica T, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. And today is Thursday, April 6, 2017. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution. And today's readers are Roxanne T for the 12 Steps, Sharon H. for the 12 Traditions, and our text readers are Marie J., Terry H., Lynn D., and our newcomer greeter is Melanie C. And the reference code for yesterday, Wednesday, April 5th, 10 a.m. meeting is 9800-9800. And a share ID for this morning's 7 a.m. meeting, April 6, 2017, is 9804. 9804. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence, and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Roxanne T. if she will read for us the 12 steps of OA. Thank you, Monica. May I be heard? Yes, you may. Thank you. Thank you for your service. My name is Roxanne T., gratefully recovered here in New York, and these are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do service, and I pass. Thank you, Roxanne T. And I will now ask Sharon H. to read the 12 traditions for us, please. Good morning. This is uh, Sharon H., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. And the 12 traditions... One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purposes, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse. 
finance or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise that has problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction, Rather than promotion, we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Sharon H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution. We will start our reading on page 23 with the paragraph that starts, Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And there are four paragraphs will be read, and we will end on page 24 with, We are without defense against the first drink. And we will be taking comments on the third and fourth paragraphs. And with that, I'm going to ask Marie J. if she would read these for us, please. Thanks, Monica. This is Marie J., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses which, which, with which they are satisfied part of the time. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. But they often suspect they are down for the count. How true this is, few realize. In a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abs abnormal, but, hope, but everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will rouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. The tragic truth is that if the man be real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week ago or a month ago, we are without defense against the first drink. Yeah, I love that uh, everyone awaits the day when I'll have the willpower to stop, including me. I want to have that willpower, but <clears throat> that is actually my problem. If I think I have the power, then my disease wins. And what the truth is, is really I lack power. 
lacking power is my problem. And I get recovery when I can take the first step, which requires me to admit that I'm powerless and that no amount of willpower is going to change that. It's never going to give me a power over this disease. It's never going to arrest the disease. And my powerlessness over food has just rendered me and my life unmanageable. And I've heard a lot of these lines, the ism, our ism, and uh, that means our incredibly short memory. And I love this paragraph because I can't remember the suffering of a week ago. And it, it says it right there, you know, that I used to think I was fine if I stayed off sugar a few days or a week or lost a pound here and there, and then I could celebrate with the weight, lo the weight loss, you know, with a, a little something. And then, you know, I'm back to the races. So my disease is always, always sitting in the background. It's always, we say here, uh, when I'm sitting in a meeting, it's out in the parking lot doing push-ups. And so my disease is always looking for a way back in, and it's usually covert. I don't even know it's happening. It's just knocking on that back door in my brain and trying to convince me that, oh, it wasn't so bad, and I can have just a little, and I can manage moderation now because I have everything under control now. And I have to realize every day that I am not in control, and I will never be in control. I will never have power over food. I have to every day surrender my will to a power greater than myself. And until I accept this, and until I abandon my will entirely, until this happens, my disease will continue to tell me that I can manage this on my own. And then I will be back in the insanity cycle. And, you know, in the, the paragraphs that follow, tomorrow there's a solution. And, you know, I choose every day to take action in the solution. You know, this is a program we hear it all the time. Not for those who want it, not for those who need it, but for those who do it. And my action includes every day be, beginning my day with the full abandonment of the notion that I'm in charge. And any notion that I possess any power at any time to manage my food or my life on my own. And there's great, great, amazing freedom in this. There is freedom in the admission. There is freedom in the action and freedom in the steps. And my true belief is that if I can recover, everyone on this line can recover. And I'm so grateful to be here and a part of this. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Marie J. And for those who may have just come on, we are taking comments on the last paragraph on page 23, The Tragic Truth, and the first paragraph on page 24, The Fact Is. And who would like to share this morning? Gina R. Gina. Rose M. I'm sorry. Rose. Teresa D. Teresa D. Say that again. Something I. Rocky I. Rocky. Jennifer P. I. Jennifer. Okay, this Kathleen is what I've got. O. Kathleen. All right, I've got Jenna R, Rose M, Teresa B, mm, Rocky I, Jennifer P, and Kathleen O. Jenna R, it's Europe. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much, Monica, and everybody else on the line for your service. This is Gina R. in Colorado, gratefully recovered. Uh, I've heard that when they set this book, that the italics were very expensive because it was a very manual process. And I'm just saying, even though I've read this page, but that whole paragraph is italicized. And um, now I'm curious. Some is that most I can't like hear that? you, Gina. Okay. Hello. Okay. You, okay, you're there. You you were fading. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, the fact paragraph is italicized is um, jumping out at me right now. Um, I have not noticed that on any other paragraphs. They may be there. I just haven't noticed them yet. But. Um, says, we are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering. I am now realizing how much of my life truly is 
unremembered. And I'm realizing that I was most likely in a food blackout. My husband remembers things. My daughter remembers things. Other family members remember things. And I just simply don't remember them. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't using any other kind of drug. But now I'm realizing I was probably in the food. And I just, I simply don't remember. And so that coupled with um, not understanding the physical allergy, it, it makes perfect sense that I, I would continue to pick up because I wasn't, I was in a blackout, a food blackout most of my life. And I, I didn't know that I couldn't not have those things. Um, the other thing that um, is jumping out at me is the part where it's talking about, um, oh gosh, where they don't know, I just lost my place. I'm going to go ahead and pass, but thank you so much. I'm really glad to notice that that whole paragraph is is italicized. Thank you, Gina. I think I got your name right that time. All right, Rose M, it's your turn, and then it'll be Teresa B. Hi, um, can, can you hear me? Sure can. Hi, uh, my name is Rose M. Um, I'm a very grateful um, recovered compulsive overeater from the Philadelphia area. Um, thank you so much for um, everybody's service. Um, and when, when I was looking over these paragraphs, um, it really reminded me of, um, especially when it was talking about once in a while, he may tell the truth. Um, I, when I thought back on things when I was in the disease, I, I had no idea why I would take the first bite. Um, and when I really analyzed the reasons why, um, it didn't make any sense and it wasn't the truth. Um, sometimes sometimes the reasons weren't even really that plausible. Like I would eat, um, I would have a binge because my husband would be sick um, and somehow in my head, I thought this binge will make my husband better. It'll it'll make him get up out of his wheelchair and walk. But you know what? It wouldn't. You know, or maybe you know I would I would go off on a binge because I was upset because I couldn't figure out how to potty train my son. <laughs> and you know what? It didn't potty train my son that I had a binge. Um, and my son is potty trained now, anyways. <laughs> but um, just the um, just the not. Truth, the untruthfulness of it, um, how, how in the disease the truth, what's true and what's false is just blurred. It really reminded me of that. Um, also on the previous meeting, some people are talking about um, uh, how our disease relates to science and, um, you know, abnormalities in the brain. Um, I know as someone who, um, myself, I had insulin resistance problems. I was pre-diabetic. Um, I'm coming out of that range now. Um, you know, there's even things that happen within um, the physiology of someone who has insulin resistance problems, um, and it's um, dysfunctional. Um, you know, when we take in too much sugar and our body's insulin resistant, um, what happens is that the body then tries to release more insulin to get it into the cells, and then it's not getting it into the cells because you're insulin resistant, so then, you know, you it actually triggers your body to want to take in more glucose because it can't get in the glucose into its cells that it's trying to, and um, sometimes that sends a signal to the body to eat more sugar, um, and, you know, in a way that, um, well, it, actually, it exactly speaks to the allergy of the body, um, and, of course, the obsession of the mind is there, and it's that twofold illness, um, but the thing is, is that the spiritual malady is really the primary problem and was always the primary problem for me. Um, what happens, I think, when I was in the disease was the exact opposite of the first three steps. You know, I thought I had power over food. I thought my life was manageable. I didn't think that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity. Um, and I wasn't willing to make a decision to turn my life over to um, the care of God. But now, as a recovered person, um, I, I, I do admit that I was powerless over the food, that my life had become completely unmanageable. I do believe that God restored me to sanity. Um, I Hi. do believe um, in all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to rouse myself from the lethargy, too, where it talks about in um, page 23. Um, and I'm happy I didn't wait. Um, 
you know, I'm happy that, yeah, I'm happy I didn't wait. So whatever's going on in your life, don't wait. Um, You know, there's, there's a solution um, in the program and the 12 steps. Thank you. And thank you for your service. Thank you, Roseanne. Teresa B., it's your turn, and then it'll be Rocky I. Hi, this is Teresa D., and um, I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, this paragraph speaks to me because it tells me that I have a huge, huge ego because um, I think that I can stop eating compulsively on my own. And I could no longer do that than a cow could fly. But I kept lying and lying and lying to myself and telling myself, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. I don't need you guys. And uh, and that's what it was, a lie. And so with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you, Teresa D. All right. It, and I know I'm killing your name here. Rocky I. It's your turn, and then it'll be Jennifer P. Good morning. No, you got it. It's Rocky I in Tempe, Arizona. Good morning. Happily recovered. Um, so what um, what I like is um, uh, the fact is that most alcoholics, for some reason, get obscure, have lost, have lost the power of choice in drink. Um, I didn't know I I had. You know, I didn't know that I had a body um, allergy. And no wonder, the more I ate, the more I wanted, the more I wanted, the more I ate. And I didn't know um, why I couldn't uh, stop. Uh, I thought it was a matter of, uh, you know, moral psychology. I thought it was me being awful, being not capable. And so what program has given me was the knowledge of there is a a physiological component that I cannot change uh, unless I do not ingest certain substances. And and that has given me so much freedom. Uh, And so now I... um, So... Anyway, I'm kind of I got lost, but um, I like that sentence where uh, we lo- I didn't have power uh, because I didn't know I needed to stop eating those substances, and now that I no no longer eat those substances, I feel I have the power. But depending on uh, me working my program daily, I do get the power to. Um, recognize that the food is detrimental. Um, uh, and people ask me, how do you, like, you have to eat? I, and I tell them, yes, I do eat. And I do eat a lot as in variety, not as in quantity, but I don't eat my alcoholic foods. And so uh, that is the power that I now have uh, with the knowledge that I acquired to what before I didn't. And so just very thankful for for this wisdom and for all um, all of you that are here in a meeting. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rocky I. Jennifer P., it's your turn, and then it'll be Kathleen O. Jennifer P., we can't hear you. Star one to unmute, please. Hi, I'm here. This there you Jennifer are. Jennifer P. from New Jersey. Uh, yeah, I thought I was unmuted, but now I am. Um, I love this these paragraphs because this this is me. This you know now I I see the truth. I can read it. I mean, I read it so many times before, but until studying it, you know, and crossing from from one side to the other of believing this and accepting this. Um, that this 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 tragic truth this truth is, you know, I am the real alcoholic, the real compulsive eater because that happy day did not arrive. You know, I spent over 20 years being in OA trying to control my food before I found this meeting and really took the steps and and do the steps. You know, and and got a relationship with a higher power that I just keep working at each day, um, and did the steps and then ended up 
getting neutrality around the food, but I have to keep doing this because my brain will tell me and does tell me, you know, oh, you know, you can try this food, you know, try that food, maybe add that back in, or maybe that's suggested to me, but I have to look back and see what is the truth. You know, the truth is I've lost the power of choice because my mind won't, either doesn't remember at all that that food, that particular food or behavior, you know, sent me into the downward spiral of binging and compulsive eating. Um, or I might remember that it did, but I'll tell myself lies and come that, you know, it doesn't matter this time. It won't happen this time. I, I can, you know, fudge it or whatever. Like, so either way, though, those are, neither of those are have sufficient force, like it says. Um, and I just don't know which times those are going to happen. It also says we're unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and the humiliation. You know, even a, a day ago, it doesn't have to be a week or a month ago. So I'm without defense. Um, and I was really good. And my brain is really good at telling me, well, you know, you're at the normal weight. You don't look heavy. So you can have these things. Uh, some of the time, or why not try this time? But you know, for today, have a high, I have working on this relationship, getting closer to my higher power, going in that direction, not listening to, trying not to listen to those thoughts. Um, and you know, it's not it's it's not the trying, it's the doing. I have to do it. I can't think about it. I have to do it. Just keep doing. So I just claiming my seat and you know, love that that we're up to these paragraphs because they really make sense to me today. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Jennifer P. Kathleen O. It's your turn. Good morning. Thank you, Monica. This is Kathleen O. Recovered in California. Have lost the, ch- the power of choice. We are not without, we are without defense against the first drink. And this is the tragic truth. Um, I, I went on dozens of diets. I have a lot of willpower. And so I could go on a diet and, and you know, be successful sometimes. Sometimes the diet would last for a day. Sometimes it lasts for a month, sometimes longer. And I'd have some success. But I was only treating the allergy. I was only treating the physical part of it. Um, the problem was, even when I did stop, my mind was obsessed and I felt worse. And that mental obsession always, always, always led me to the, to the feeling and the thought, you know, I'm going to be okay today. I'll get back on tomorrow. I would, you know, pick up and eat again. And with that thought, I'll, I'll get back on tomorrow. And of course, you know, tomorrow would, could go on forever. And that mental obsession, the insanity is that apathetic carelessness, that just not caring. My disease will always tell me it's okay. It's casual. It's sneaky. And I had to get honest with myself. That first bite changes my chemistry and it's going to trigger the allergy. And I really had to, to use the power of God and think of the end result of taking the bite rather than the relief of the first bite. Um, you know, more about alcoholism, the idea that somehow someday he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. Um, this illusion must be smashed. I always think of a building that needs to come down, you know, a high-rise building, and they get all the dynamite ready. <clears throat> and I've never seen this in person, but I've seen it on footage. And that that building, once they, they hit the trigger, it just comes flattens down to the ground. And that is what I need to keep thinking about. Um, You know, the illusion that I'm going to be normal as far as eating has to be smashed. And, and the only, I mean, I'm powerless. And the only way I can remember that reality is by working these steps every day, practicing these principles um, in all my affairs and, you know, the shower I take today is not going to keep me clean tomorrow. And, the 12-step work I do today isn't going to work tomorrow. I have to do it every day because that that obsession of the mind is always going to be there. It's always going to be there. And the only way I keep it at bay is to, you know, be in connection with my higher power. 
And if eating isn't an option, then I don't have a problem. So eating's not an option. Thank you. With that, I pass. Thank you, Kathleen O. And for those who may have just joined us, we are taking comments on the last paragraph on page 23, The Tragic Truth, and the first paragraph on page 24, The Fact Is. And who else would like to share this morning? Hi, this is Carlisa. May I share? Carlisa. What's your last initial? C. C. Okay. Who else would like to share? Deborah Lee. Thank you. I heard a Deborah somebody. Deborah? Deborah P. Deborah P. Okay. Who else? John, John K. John K. Who else? Jody Perry K. Jody E. Q. Who else? Sherry K. B. Sherry K. B. Hey, I think I got it this time. <laughs> okay, this is what I got. Carlisa C., Deborah P., John K., Jody E.Q., and Sherry K.B. All right, Carlisa, you're up. Thank you for your service. Um, Carlisa C., recovered in Washington, D.C. Uh, I recently celebrated a an eighth birthday in the in recovered, and uh, I want to just say that my life on April 4th of 2009 was going in one direction. And this program of recovery, and specifically instructs the instructions in the big book, um, helps create an environment where my life now is 180 degrees different, including having been relieved of 180 pounds of, of well, body weight, but 180 million pounds, it feels like, of physical, mental and especially spiritual bondage. And it is because of the plain speaking that we are reading today that uh, that spoke to me so directly when I first I was introduced to the big book on April 5th, 2009, because I'd never really heard about it or had thought it had any applicability to a person like me, getting that for alcoholic drunk. Uh, that's all I knew about 12 Steps. But when I started reading these words, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, you, can, you cannot have a most of sufficient power <laughs> to say no to the first drink and or bite, uh, that uh, you can't remember what happened yesterday, the ultimate and horrible humiliation, the uh, phrase we, we read earlier this week, the hammer, like a person taking a hammer to the head for a headache. These, these, this kind of plain spokenness spoke to me deep in my spirit. And that is, um, and, it, and today, and I, I sit here and I read this book and I listen to the words and people's thoughts about it because it speaks today. I will always default to food. I will always be a compulsive eater. And um, that is that despite all I know and that all I, I have learned and all how grateful I am, the who, of I, who, the who I am has not changed, <laughs> and it will never. And so uh, I'm glad to be reminded of that today, and I find I must be reminded of it every day. But I know that I am recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and being because of the instructions in this book, and I pass. Thank you for your service, Deb. Thank you, Carlisa C. Deborah P., you're up, and then it'll be John K. Deborah P., it's your turn. Star one to unmute. Hi, this is Deborah P. Can you hear me? Oh, I sure can. Okay, I wasn't I was muted. Um, Yes, so uh, Deborah P. Grateful, recover or recovering compulsive overeater, and um, just get, getting a little bit of abstinence under my belt. And I seriously was someone that thought I was that person that was, you know, genetically predisposed to never be able to over, you know, to get going with this or be able to stop eating compulsively. And I just, I tried and I tried and I just, I really, I really didn't think I'd be able to do it. I thought it was sort of hopeless. And 
I mean, I can relate to this. I, I sometimes feel that I'm getting a tiny bit of sanity that's slipping in when I do get the craving. I mean, one thing I know for sure is that I'm addicted to sugar, which I, that was one thing I tried to say, oh, I can have one little thing here and there. And that doesn't work for me. Um, and usually the way when I start getting these cravings, I just remember, you know, I know that I'm going to feel like crap if I do this. And, um, and I seem to get through it. Okay. The other thing that has helped me a lot for some reason, um, I went to a meeting, I shared an experience with somebody, and somebody came up to me and told me about a book about shame, and I'm reading all about this shame stuff, which I would have never, ever thought had anything to do with why I'm eating, but this guy believes that shame is like at the core of all addiction, and I've just, I've learned so much about that, and that is I'm not going to say like the obsession's been lifted, but it, it, there's just, I don't know, there's some sort of freedom from just knowing that. And I think one of the reasons this program works is the people come in, I mean, the first day they come in, they're like talking about their binges that they've never shared with anyone in their life. And, you know, there's a little bit of freedom when people start sharing that stuff that they, they're so ashamed. I mean, they're just ashamed of that kind of stuff. And um, that's where, you know, that's where the journey begins is when we just start sharing about it. And um, so I just thought I would share that. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Deborah P. John K., it's your turn. And then it'll be Jody E.Q. Good morning. Uh, this is John Kiernan, compulsive overeater in Los Angeles. Uh, thanks for your service everybody team Thursday um yeah this is just you know where it talks about um you know we're unable at times to bring with sufficient force the memory of everything the memory uh one of my favorite lines I heard a lady say one day she said you know I'm not a slow learner I'm a quick forgetter and it's it was certainly true with me no matter how much in any of my diseases I could be suffering the day or night before boom the next day it's a great idea to go do this and it's because when it came to my, my addictions, I lost that power of choice. You know, talks about in the next chapter that strange, the strange mental blank spot. And it was certainly, you know, true with me that that we we just don't have it. And, uh, you know, it says, you know, we were without defense, you know, against that first trick, that first fight. And, you know, I get asked sometimes if I'm, you know, at a retreat or something like that, well, I'm powerless over eating, how can I? possibly stay about away from the first bite, you know, without divine intervention. And I think some people think it's about, you know, just keep eating until the abstinence fairy hits you. And um, the thing is, we're powerless, but we're not helpless. And, uh, you know, the title of this chapter, There is a Solution, and it's here in this, this book, working, you know, working this program and working the steps, uh, you know, later when it talks about, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, the 10 step promises about, you know, keeping that fit spiritual condition is just so important. I have to realize that my disease is, is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And as a result, um, it will often get, you know, it's constantly pounding on the doors. You know, it's, I, I joke sometimes that I feel like my disease is, is to use a, a popular analogy now, you know, like one of those zombie TV series where, you, you know, you got the house all locked up and the people are cowering inside and the zombies are banging on the doors and the windows and that's sort of my disease. It's always going to be sort of banging there. Now, the more work I do on it, the lighter and quieter that, that, that pounding gets, but it's always going to be there and I just need to remember that. And, you know, having gone through a horrible relapse for a number of years, I could say that my disease will use any, you know, thing it can. You can use perfectly good program thoughts against me. And that it, my, I always say my disease gets as subtle as it needs to be to be imperceptible. So a lot of times it could start with the slightest thing. I mean, after 22 years of abstinence, it's not going to sit there and, and whisper in my ear, oh, you know, let's, let's go binge out. Let's go to 7-Eleven and binge. But it'll keep backing up and backing up and backing up to find a way to get just a little foot in the door. So maybe it'll say, yeah, you know, John, you're going to too many meetings. You could take a do a little less. Because it knows if it can nudge me just a little now, somewhere down the way, it'll get to me. 
And so I need to keep working this program and working it to stay in that fit spiritual condition. And and finally, I just the other thing I'll say about a final line of defense I have to have too is to have clear borders around my food because that'll be what'll happen. It'll start with being sloppy. It'll start by doing that. And I, I, I don't. It's not an option anymore. So that, you know, unless I make an absolute time, uh, I'll wrap it up. Unless I make an absolute decision to go, because I have reasonably good borders, I can't just sort of slide into a relapse. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John Kay. Jody EQ, it's your turn, and then it'll be Sherry KB. Good morning. This is Jody EQ, gratefully recovered in California. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. I can remember being about 10 years old and my mother took me to a party where there was a platter of French bread cut up into little pieces and piled high, big platter. And I started, I took a bite of that French bread and another bite and I could not stop. And I was very embarrassed being at this party and wondering if anybody was watching me, but I, I was powerless. I couldn't stop eating it. And there was another little girl, another child there, similar to me. We couldn't stop eating it. <laughs> we didn't connect, she and I. We were in, wrapped up in ourselves, at least I was, and just very self-conscious, I remember. So the tragic situation had already arrived. Uh, long before it was suspected in me. And I didn't, uh, I was baking by that age on a regular basis, and that became an obsession later. But the weight didn't become a problem until much later. And the the real awareness that I had a real problem was came much later. So, yes, it, it, uh, it is a progressive disease, but the allergy in my body was there from a very early age. And I had to uh, suffer through the binges and the fasting and the weight gain and the weight loss and the depression and the alienation from friends and family before I could uh, concede to my innermost self that I was powerless over food. And that is the first step. I do have to do that. I have to admit that I am powerless over food and that my life is unmanageable and that I need something greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And I'm just very grateful that I fully concede that to myself today with joy. Because in conceiving that and admitting that, I allow that higher power to come in. I'm able to abstain happily from my alcoholic foods, and I'm able to live the life that I was meant to live with my higher power's guidance. And that's so far greater than anything I could ever do. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jody EQ. Sherry KB, it's your turn. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you for your service, Monica. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about in the previous paragraphs, we, we read about um, trying to understand the truth from the faults. And here it's giving us the truth. And it's saying the, the tragic truth. That you know that if we are compulsive overeaters, the happy day may not arrive. Um, and it also says the tragic situation has already arrived in practically every one case long before it is suspected. And then we're talking about a fact: the fact about alcoholism, for reasons yet obscured, have lost the power of choice and compulsion to take that first bite. Um, so now we're getting into the facts and we're getting into the truth. 
and I don't know, you can only define this for yourself, but I know I'm a real, true, compulsive overeater, and that I I have a memory loss. Um, you know, my disease wants me to forget that I am a compulsive overeater, will tell me that I can do this by myself. It'll it'll lie to me, basically. It'll tell me that, you know, um, I've got this one. Um, it'll tell me that, you know, even though I've lost weight and um, I've been abstinent for a long time, that now I don't need to do this. But the truth is, is that I need to keep my nose in this book. I need to keep reminding myself that I am a compulsive overeater because my disease wants me to forget. Um, you know, not only when I lose the, mem- the memory of choice, I lose the, the the ability to stop eating compulsively if I don't, you know, stay in these steps, work the steps, turn my will and my life over to God. And, you know, here it also says that and it, our will um, – where is it? I'm sorry, I lost my... Oh, yes, okay. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. Our so-called willpower. And so what it's telling me is, like, I don't have the power. The only power that I can get is through a power greater than myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. And we have four minutes left, so... We could take a couple of short shares. Who would like to share? Melanie C. Melanie. Okay, go ahead, Melanie. Hi, Monica. Thanks for your service. My name is Melanie. Melanie C. calling in from Oregon this morning. Since I have just a couple of minutes, I just kind of wanted to look at a broader sense. The entire time I've been listening to here today with all these shares, I'm thinking of suds. There's a fellow in our in our close range here that um, talks about suds, and it's an acronym for seemingly unimportant decisions. And my mind is completely programmed, completely wired to do that. Not only that, in my disease, I um, went down a path that started the process of looking at a situation telling myself it was so, and then developed a lifetime of thinking errors that built upon, built upon, built upon. And then in this case, they're so deadly. The seemingly unimportant decisions that I make around food, and another fellow was just sharing earlier about how I have to become very clearly acquainted with what disease language is in my mind and my heart, which is so great with step 10. I have to become very clearly aware that this particular big book, The directions in this big book were written in hindsight with people that came up out of complete hopelessness and despair where society had written them off to what they're living now. So it is the truth. It is bona fide. We can completely rely upon it. And it consists of prayers, directions, and cautions. These are not sweet little stories, Melanie. Every single one of these things are showing me absolutely when that these things will happen for me if I am the real deal, and I am, although my mind couldn't get wrapped around that because of the thinking processes that I do through this, but I could believe it in somebody else, and the grace of God and the steps allowed me to take that action contrary to what to my brain was saying, strapping on those prosthetics no matter what my mind happens to say. An interesting thing, but that's my kind of my overview of this. Seemingly unimportant decisions that I had to get real familiar with make sure they were part of my lingo that I knew to do something about in opposite of what it was trying to tell me. This whole thing for me is about opposites anyway. Thanks, Monica. Pass. Thank you, Melanie C. And this is Monica T. We've got two minutes. I'm going to jump in here. So what is the big book telling me here? The big book is telling me that I lack soundness of mind. It's talking about the obsession of the mind here. And I have to understand that my thinking is the problem. This mental obsession, obsession of the mind, is, um, there's two things here. My mind tells me a lie, and I believe the lie every single time. And the other issue I have is I have no memory of the consequences or resolutions that I may have made 15 minutes ago that I was going to be good and behave and follow my plan today. I have... I have an abnormal way of thinking here when it comes to food. I have a real alcoholic mind. I'm powerless over this because that crazy thought wins every single time. 
At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. No matter how much I desired, no much, no matter how much willpower I put into this, no matter how much determination I put into this, if that crazy thought, that abnormal way of thinking of food came into my head, I would believe the lie that that was just the best idea I'd had in a long time to pick up food. I'm screwed, and I need a power greater than me that could remove this obsession of my mind on a daily basis. And how does that happen, and how did it happen for me? It was by working these steps, getting a relationship with a power greater than me that can do that, because I could never do it, and I still can't do it but God can. And with that, I pass. And we've come to the end of our time here today, how quickly we have. And I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Terry H., could you please read for us from page 164, A Vision for You? Yes, our thanks. book is meant to be suggestive. Go ahead. <laughs> thanks, Monica. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Terry H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.